Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Welcome to this week's episode of the Motormouth Podcast, where I chatted with Jack Withenshaw, one of the founders of Airspeeder. He's created a flying car, well, several of them in fact, that will race at 150 kilometers per hour in the sky above our heads in stunning locations on augmented reality courses against loads of other flying cars. They look like a sort of cross between an F1 car, a fighter jet, and a drone. And the next generation car they're building will be the first one to be controlled by an onboard pilot, probably tested by Bruno Senna, who's involved with the business. They've got some amazing plans, and the future is apparently navigated not on the road, but in the sky. Our average road car will become not one on four wheels, but on four propellers. We'll all be doing the school run at 8,000 feet, avoiding each other with amazing crash detection technology and repel systems. He's a visionary, highly intelligent and articulate. He's secured big backing and is changing the game one flight at a time. I really hope you enjoy this one. Let's head over to hear from Jack. Hi, Jack. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Before we come on to Airspeeder itself, I want to find out a little bit more about you and how you came to end up at this point. Let's go back a bit. How does a graduate from Sydney University end up in London launching a flying race car series? What led you to this point? I would like to say there was a, a master plan here to follow to, to enter the world of flying cars, but no, it's just been a case of just following my feet, really. I guess on a personal level, um, yeah, born in the UK, raised in Australia, uh, went to Sydney Uni, did history and philosophy, so the natural ingredients for flying car racing, moved into, uh, into media and then kind of carved a career out in media sales and technology. Um, but the story of Airspeeder really comes into a, a relationship or a friend I've had, a friendship I've had with Matt Pearson, uh, my co-founder. And I've known Matt for a whole number of years, but we we kind of started this this journey about, well, I'd say, 12 years ago in the hinterlands of Mongolia up on the Siberian borders. 
Uh, we spent 10 days uh, on horseback riding around in Mongolia, severely under uh, unprepared for uh, for that trip. The tent was not prepared for freezing temperatures. We packed about half as much food as we needed. So we were cold, starving, and in that kind of environment, uh, Matt was talking about one day wanting to build giant drones. And the idea of giant drones wasn't new. It was something we've always had since the Jetsons, since Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Back to the Future. Um, but what was different was Matt's take on how do we bring this idea to life? And that's what really caught me. Maybe it was because I was nutritionally deprived and starving. Uh, but he, uh, he did say one truth, which has stuck with me since then, which is that every mobility revolution has always had racing as the first accelerator, first use case, first adoption of that new technology. And it wouldn't be any different for flying cars. And so he planted the seeds uh, somewhere in the, uh, in the Siberian uh, borders. And, uh, and I carried, carried that through to me, uh, with me, sorry. And uh, when I came to London, uh, he said, look, I think it's time we take a, a good crack at this. And so since then, we, we raised our first bit of VC money. Uh, I brought my skill set of advertising, my background in advertising to, um, to take this to, to partners. And, uh, and collectively, we've started building out the vehicles, the team, and, uh, and now the sport. It's, I'm always interested in how people, you know, that you, you've outlined that transition from working in advertising or whatever you were doing at the time, your trip to Mongolia, and then you meet some VCs, you raise some money, you start a business. It's obviously not that straightforward. How, how, did, how are you coping at the point where you've presumably left your full-time employment to go and to go and find and focus on this funding or, or was it sort of still working trying to raise some money then hand in my notice then start a business how how was that process so I've I had a background in startups before and the thing that startups do fantastically is they take over your life and they completely fuel you with passion and once you've had a little snip or a taste of that it's hard to get rid of and I've, I've jumped in from big corporate startups and back into big corporate again. Um, and so Airspeeder did that for me really quickly, even though it was just a, uh, in 2019, it was really just a, a small idea. And uh, it was the idea of we can actually do this. And there's obviously a little bit of risk in going out and uh, moving away from your steady nine to five and the, and the regular salary. But think about the reward and think about what we can be creating here. And just shaking that image off is so hard to do. And I knew that uh, that the passion that startups give you is really the foundation of the ingredient to be able to, to go out and, and do this. If you've got that and the drive and the tenacity, then, uh, then anything's possible to at least give it a go. So what we did was we said, let's start small. Uh, let's create subscale vehicles. So these were the Mark IIs back then. They were three-quarter scale. Uh, they were about three and a half meter, 150 kilo unmanned vehicles. Um, using that, we put on demonstration at Goodwood Festival of Speed, which went spectacularly badly. Um, we <laughs> infamously crashed. Uh, but from that, we took a bunch of different lessons. Firstly, safety. Uh, we had to massively um, upskill the, the the employees, the safety handbooks, the vehicles. We put the Mark II to, to rest, not to bring it out again. But we also learned how to help manage and run events, how to bring partners on. We knew there was an audience to this sport. And there was some really interesting data there that said that this, although it went badly, could become something. 
And that was enough for us to be able to take out. So to answer your question, I think the leap of faith was all about, uh, about passion that I could not ignore nor deny. It wasn't as strategic as if I do this by then, I've got the capital to be able to do it. It was just jumping off the, uh, off the cliff. And, uh, and then looking at the data to see if in the small steps, even at a small scale, MVP, can this be done? And the answer to that was yes. So that was enough yeah. for me to be able to say, all right, let's commit to this. And you've got some fairly impressive people now involved with the business. I saw on your website, um, I don't know how you say his surname. Is it Geisen? Jason? Gary? Geisen. Yeah, Gary Geisen. Geisen. So he, he's joined you as part of your board. I looked at his profile, which is seriously impressive. He's raised big money before. He's He's been involved with this kind of business before. So now you're getting important people around you. Does it really feel like you're starting to get traction with this now? And this is, you know, a fully fledged business, it's still a startup. Okay. But you're really starting to make some inroads. Oh, I think so. Um, it's a bit of a pinch me moment when we have people like Gary Geisen join the board. Uh, for listeners out there, Gary is the ex-CEO of Whisk. Whisk is now a completely Boeing-backed entity and is one of the largest uh, EV toll companies for electric vertical takeoff and landing companies uh, out there in the in the world. And we're absolutely honoured to have Gary by our side and guiding us through this, this period. Um, but then the stable goes beyond having just Gary Geisen, we've got names like Judith Griggs, who's the ex-CEO of Formula One Australia uh, and Formula One as well. Uh, Eddie Baker, who famously, uh, if anyone knows the origins of TV broadcasts at Formula One, known as Bakerville, uh, Eddie Baker is the, the man behind that and helped set that up and is coming to help uh, guide that at ASBeta for us as well. Uh, the last two being Adelaide uh, locals. It's uh, amazing to have a, a little collection of uh, motorsport, uh, I guess, I guess uh, leadership down in down Adelaide. Uh, and so as half our business is based in South Australia, we're, uh, we're lucky to be able to capture some of that local talent. And the, the vehicle itself, so it's called the Speeder, right? Is that how you refer to them? Yeah, speeder. yeah, speeder, air speeder. Yeah, you can call it what you want. It's technically called an eVTOL, right. which is electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. That is a unsexy name. Uh, yeah, it's it's just not what we envisioned as kids growing up. Uh, I don't think if you said to any kid in the road, just say, "Hey, do you know what an eVTOL is?" No, nah, they have no idea. And you go, "Do you know what a flying car is?" Yes, I get the idea of what a flying car is, and so. Flying cars, technically inaccurate. EV toll is too accurate. Uh, so we like to say speeder or airspeeder is, uh, uh, is what we call these vehicles. Yeah, and they look really cool. I mean, they're very sleek. It, they have four props, a cockpit towards the back of the, the speeder. Um, are they modeled on anything in particular? Did you take sort of inspiration? Like there's, there's a company called, um, oh God, what's the name of it? Um, Aptera who um, are sort of reinventing the way cars are designed. They're, they're uh, you know, very, very different. If you ever look at an Aptera car, it's sort of like shark-like in a way. How did you, where did you get your inspiration for the form factor? Because obviously we've got drones and everyone sees those flying about. You know, you, there's, there's obviously a resemblance. But w was there a particular inspiration that you took? Yeah, I think there's a, um, a correlation in the design profiles of the vehicles and the maturity of the company, which is which is really interesting. So the that, that shark figure, that cigar racer with the pilot at the back is, is the Mark III, and that was our first uh, major iteration into to full-size vehicles. Um, now, the design for that was really about... Uh, it was really about image and 
trying to personify a vehicle where people could associate with being a flying car and cutting edge, but also timeless and having origins and DNA based in motorsport, uh, just as you've seen from, uh, I guess, those, those cigar races in the, in the 30s, the 40s. Uh, and it needs to be both. It needs to be accessible for people to understand that this is both a flying car and a racing vehicle at the same time. Um, the shark mouth is, is a beautiful entity. And the Mark III is absolutely, um, what we believe, is, is one of the most beautiful EV tolls out there. Um, it was our first vehicle that we, as I said, first full-size vehicle we started flying. Uh, now, since then, we've done 300 test flights with the Mark III. It's an uncrewed, four-and-a-half-meter-long electric uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. Um, it's light. It is only about uh, 150 to well, less than 200, uh, 200 kg. Um, it can go top speed of about 150 kilometers per hour and has competed in two of our first MVP races that we did last year. Um, now that's the uncrewed vehicle. Uh, we then have taken some of the learnings from that vehicle uh, into the, the crewed vehicle, the Mark IV, which is the next one, uh, which is the one behind me here. Right. Okay. And that vehicle is designed to be uh, crewed and therefore requires a safety cell around it to be able to keep the pilot safe. So the same carbon fiber monocoque uh, that we see on, on, uh, on Formula 8 racing, we've transported into the air to be able to, uh, uh, to keep the pilot safe. Um, other elements that we've included then are a significant upgrade to the powertrain to be able to allow for the weight. We've had to include additional wings. As you can see from the Mark III, there's not much of a, uh, of, of a wing profile on that, so we have to help some of that lift profile by including the, the winglets. Uh, and then some dynamic um, tilt rotors, which is the next part that we'll be bringing onto the Mark IV. Yeah, to allow for, it, for it looks, I mean, so for those that um, can't see this, the, the, the picture behind you is a top-down image. And from what I can see there, it's not, it's sort of like a cross between a Formula One car and a fighter jet. It's got a, a rear wing like an F1 car. It's got a front wing like an F1 car, but it's got wings like a fighter jet. And then obviously the props, the sort of drone-like aspect to it. So it's sort of a bit of a hybrid, isn't it? Yeah, a beautiful bastard child of these two worlds. Yeah. But uh, it's, um, uh, I don't know, I can't, I would love to say who said the quote, but typically when things go fast, they tend to uh, conform on a similar shape. Yeah. And uh, and this thing does naturally take some of those elements from both motorsports and from um, from aerospace. But that's that's really where we're, what we're shooting for. This is, uh, this is a motorsport, it just happens to be in the air, so we'll be taking the best of both worlds. And with it being a motorsport, um, you've done your unmanned um, two-vehicle race. So presumably in years to come, we're going to be seeing 20 of these things lining up in the sky, battling against each other in what, augmented reality tracks or something like that? Exactly like that, yeah. So that's, um, that's one of the key pieces of technology we started working on um, for 2022. We built the vehicle in 2021 and went through its testing, but we realised that it wasn't just about the vehicle, it was about how do we keep these vehicles communicating with each other and with the track, and that was another whole set of sub-problems we had to, to solve. So we went out and we took a whole bunch of different technological partners to come on and help us in that challenge. Uh, so for the augmented reality systems, Telstra Purple, uh, part of Australia's biggest telco, Telstra, uh, came and helped us build a system from scratch so that the pilots could see the gates as they were racing, so the gates don't actually exist in real life. It's all digital. 
the pilots can have the same post to be able to race past. And that technology for augmented reality racing allows us then to be able to race in any environment, not just on tracks. We can race in snow, grass, around mountains, over water. The sky becomes our playground. Uh, and we are able to create these digital tracks, have no impact on the environment, constantly change the locations and keep this sport fresh. I guess while that's exciting for the sport, it's even more exciting for UAM or urban air mobility. So this new mobility revolution in which flying cars are, are starting to come uh, to life. And you can just think that if we're gonna have these passageways through cities in the sky, they're also gonna have to require these same types of technologies. And that's what airspeed is about. It's about turbocharging the vehicles. It's about allowing a gateway for teams to be able to invest in technology and develop technology, just like they did 120 years ago at the birth of the automotive, um, the automotive era. But it's also about cities and future cities starting to get, and technology companies starting to get hands-on actual real-world experience on multiple flying vehicles but just happens to be in a contained and benign environment that is racing. And um, there's obviously a massive safety element to this. And people listening are probably thinking, well, you know, airborne vehicles flying 150 kilometers an hour against 20 other airborne vehicles around an augmented reality track, is that's chaos. Yeah, that's that's going to be bedlam. H how on earth do you stop horrific accidents happening every five minutes? Yeah, as I said at the beginning, I think safety is probably the biggest uh, factor we think about in the growth of this company in the sport. So we produce the EXA series, E-X-A, which stands for External Labiella. And the EXA series is an uncrewed series, so the parts are racing these remotely. And all the learnings that we take from that allows us to train pilots, debug the system, uh, and for us to kind of get familiar with uh, the ins and outs of, uh, of racing before putting in the riskiest element, which is the pilot themselves. So we're now at the stage where we're moving into crude, uh, crude testing for the, the new vehicle. Uh, so safety of the pilot is the first and foremost. So I've talked about the um, safety cell. Uh, if these things crash, and in motorsports crashing does happen, is that the pilot will be safe. Uh, and creating a quite heavy, but quite safe safety cell is really the, the centerpiece of, of these vehicles. And that's a really interesting point, I think, because traditional aerospace doesn't think about crashing in the same way. Aerospace has an approach to crashing, which is don't crash, never crash, never ever crash. 10 to the minus nine is the acceptable risk for crashing, which pretty much means you can't ever crash. But if it does happen, it's usually not good. What we're building are vehicles that are designed to crash. And if they do crash, the pilot can be safe but with a, uh, a, a, I guess, a performance body built around that. And it's a very different mindset in terms of how we are approaching both racing and flying cars. So that's the vehicle. Kind of zooming out, we've also got things like uh, collision avoidance or close collision avoidance. Because we're in a closed track, our vehicles can communicate to each other. Uh, and we're talking within a, a 30 centimeter buffer zone. So the two vehicles can get really close to each other, almost like a force field. That if vehicle A comes in and it's about to collide with vehicle B, vehicle B will be nudged out the side. Uh, now there'll be a penalty for the pilot that's decided to, to take that course of action. We can also remotely slow down the vehicles as well. We can apply digital gravel uh, so that uh, they can be penalised for that movement. 
But this is what you are able to do with vehicles that aren't on the ground. They have the full 3D space of access uh, and a, we are, I think there's about 20, 30 sensors governing the, the radar and the LIDAR uh, for the vehicle to vehicle communication, uh, which we have complete control over. So there is a, an element here where we're in a benign remote location and uh, have full control on the vehicles that are uh, competing against each other. And again, that's the type of technology that Airspeeder allows to be tested that we'll see in the mainstream world. Now, there's there's a huge amount of engineering and and advanced technology that goes into these things. And I know that there are other um, companies and brands trying to do similar things, not necessarily in um, racing, but it could be a military or logistics or or just um, travel in in you know future cities in the sky. And there's obviously uh, this sort of feels like it slots quite nicely into certain wheelhouses of the likes of Elon Musk or Bill Gates or, you know, somebody with bottomless pits of cash who enjoys this kind of groundbreaking um, evolution. Is that a concern for you? Yeah. So the this industry, urban air mobility or advanced air mobility, is absolutely booming right now. There's 250 plus flying car companies out there. Not many people know that. Uh, it's tipped to be a trillion dollar industry by 2040. It's predominantly led by uh, flying taxis and logistics drones. Um, now, flying taxis are big vehicles that can carry, say, four, five, six passengers. Uh, they'll be fully electric. They'll be quiet. Uh, they'll have distributed propulsion, so multiple uh, rotors, not a single rotor. Um, but it takes time to be able to build a vehicle that can fly over our cities in the next uh, four or five years. Now, I guess being a student of history, I look to the past to see how other mobility revolutions have been formed. And 120 years ago, racing was one of the first applications for the car, for the auto era. Uh, it was a, a time where there were no petrol pumps, there were no driver's licenses. These things were noisy and unknown and uh, people needed to, to start becoming familiar with them and, and motorsports did that. Now that's a, an environment that's very similar to, to right now. Uh, where this technology is starting to come through, but it needs an application for a, uh, for the public to engage with it and for technology to be tested. And so we see motorsports as the first application for this new industry that is, that's coming forward. Um, and uh, we see it as a, a great test bed for some of that technology to be able to be developed just like it was 120 years ago to trickle down to the mainstream market. In terms of what's next for it, Airspeeder and uh, I guess our manufacturer behind us, which is Alauda um, Aeronautics, is it's, it's bigger than just racing. We see a world of private EV toll, private mobility starting to come through as well, uh, starting with the racetrack and racetrack experiences and possibly even a roadmap into uh, a world of uh, owning our own flying car. And that's the vision. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think we all fell in love with in science fiction and uh, in these movies like Star Wars, Back to the Future, Chi Chi Bang Bang. We, we wanted the idea of we can hop into our own flying vehicle. We, we love that. We love that feeling of agency and autonomy. Uh, that we can go where we want, um, but again, it just starts with it starts with safely uh, testing this out, raising awareness, getting the public excited, and falling in love with this technology through racing. Firstly, yeah, I mean, I can totally you can totally buy into the idea of um, you know going out in the morning, jumping in your flying car with the kids, dropping them off at school, you know, going and do the grocery shopping. You can sort of imagine that sort of Jetsons kind of future. Um, but for now, you're focused in on racing. And m- my background is sponsorship in Formula One. So I'm always fascinated by how these things get funded by, you know, di- different partners. You, I've, I was looking at your um, your partners on your website. You've got IWC, you know, brilliant watch company. Um, you've got Intel, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. You've got Acronis. These are big brands. W- was it a hard sell to them or are they kind of open to these kind of ideas? Well, they're definitely open. But uh, when it comes to pitching in flying car racing, you get one or two responses. Uh, you get one which says, that is absolutely bonkers. And then you get another which says, that's absolutely bonkers, tell me more. Uh, and they're the kind of forward-thinking progressive brands that we like to be able to to work with, the ones that can see beyond the horizon of today into tomorrow. Uh, and in that world is the opportunity for a lot of these brands as well. So we're working with a whole bunch of different partners. I've uh, mentioned a couple there. We've also worked with AWS and Telstra. And uh, and the reason these top-tier technology companies are working with Airspeeder is, yes, it's a big vision and a big journey and it's exciting. Uh, there's also a new world of urban air mobility and advanced air mobility that Airspeeder is starting to test 10 years before the mainstream market, allowing any of the partners that work with us that advantage into that space. So there is, a, I guess, from a sponsorship side or at least a, a commercial side, yes, the journey is exciting and uh, <laughs> doors quickly get closed on you. Um, but there is a, a real technological reason and, and cut through for these companies to be able to, to, to benefit from, uh, from, from working with Airspeeder. And there are other, um, there are other quite revolutionary forms of racing popping up all the time at the moment. We've obviously had Extreme E, um, um, we've got, uh, the E1 boat racing series, which is coming online soon run by Roddy Basso. Um, and they've got some really impressive team owners in you know, like, proper A-listers that are that are starting to take an interest in this sort of thing. Who are going to be the people that are owning and running your teams and who's going to pilot these things? That's a really good question when it comes to team ownership because I think the nature of team ownership in motorsports is, is kind of taking a bit of a shift into these big names, uh, names that have large audience bases that kind of quickly attribute a lot of value to, uh, to that team slot. We go a different direction. 
uh, it comes down to why we've created Airspeeder. And Airspeeder is built to be able to turbocharge this new industry. Now, that industry relies on the investment of OEMs, of technology providers. Um, and big names, while great in terms of allowing audience size and great for sponsorship and uh, raising awareness of the sport, won't be able to provide that technological input that, uh, at the level that we need it. So we are really taking a look at the, the books of the likes of Formula One and saying these are big OEMs that are investing sizable sums to be able to get advantage in their market through racing. And that's the type of investment that we need for to make a meaningful impact in this mobility revolution. So the teams that we're talking to aren't, aren't celebrity owners. They are OEMs. They are automotive companies, specifically not aerospace. Uh, so they're automotive companies that have either already announced their vertical ambitions or are about to announce their vertical ambitions that also have a motorsport legacy, either in Formula One or otherwise. Interesting. And uh, that, uh, that's the type of teams that will invest in the technology, that the types of teams that will allow audiences nationally to rally behind them uh, to get the awareness where we need it. Uh, and they're the types of teams that have done this before. These are the, the, I can't say who the names are, but they are the same names that we saw 120 years ago at the dawn of the automotive era, just doing exactly what they're doing again, but now in the vertical space. Uh, and so that's the direction Airspeed is headed. It's very cool. I, I look forward to seeing a papaya McLaren Airspeeder burning it around some augmented reality track in the future. Um, in terms of watching it, so from a, a live spectator, angle so you've got these augmented reality courses in the sky so i guess you're thinking big screens with that augmented reality projected onto it so you can see the route the pilots are taking whilst watching them live in the sky above your heads exactly so we're a we're a sport that likes to race in remote locations beautiful but remote locations uh, with small amounts of vips on site initially but that's a safety consideration so we're really going to make sure we have the small guests, small mass of guests uh, safely um, secure for the race. Um, but we want to expand this uh, to a sport for everybody. And uh, in a couple of years, we'd like to be able to be racing the Bay of Monaco uh, over the water would be fantastic, where all the guests will be able to see from, uh, from the sidelines. So to be able to do that, we have to use some pretty clever technology. So augmented reality for the pilots to be able to see the gates is one thing, but then be able to take that as an experience so you can see it on screens. That's something we're doing this year with our VIPs uh, for our races. And then the next few years is to take that experience from seeing it on screens into well, how do you create a completely immersive sport for those guests, if that's through a phone or a, a headset, or a device like that, so you can see the see the actual race outline. In terms of our courses, usually a blend of digital and physical. So uh, we've got some great plans uh, in the in the mix to be able to look down from a heightened perspective into a, a valley of sorts and uh, being able to see the race below you, where we use the physical uh, infrastructure, sorry, the physical um, landscape to be able to guide the guide the race track, which is. Uh, hugely exciting as well. Yeah. I've got these sort of visions of um, Airspeeder supporting a Formula One race in Monaco, you know, same week, same race weekend. It was drones flying all over the place, filming down onto this race in the sky. You can sort of start to envisage where it's going, can't you? 
Well, yeah, you just said it really when you've got uh, the film drones also in the mix. It's a, it's a complex cacophony of different vehicles all intermingling. Uh, our head of operations calls it an aerial ballet, but that's you've got the speeders themselves racing around, trying not to hit each other, trying to compete for lines. Then you've also got film drones coming in and out uh, of the sport. So at a two to one ratio of the film drones in the mix, in terms of the, the cameras and the vehicles, it's the same number of cameras as a Formula One car. You've got some incredible broadcast footage that's going to start yeah. to come through for that audience as well. Yeah. Um, whether we're going to race on a track, uh, the same track as a Formula One race in the future, uh, I'd love to be able to get there one day. That'd be awesome. But for the moment, we're doing remote location racing. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess in the in the far, far future, maybe uh, Formula One might be able to, to feature at one of our races. It's got Codemasters, EA Sports written all over it, isn't it? I mean, it's th- this is proper gaming material as well. Well, we've already started to delve into that world. So uh, our partners, Saltwater Games, have just produced their first iteration of, uh, of an airspeeded tournament within their game called Celeros. And uh, definitely check it out. Uh, have a look online. You've got names uh, like Bruno Senna racing in that tournament. Now, Bruno is one of our pilots as well, racing in the Airspeeder Exa Series. So it's got a bit of a unique advantage in that. But you're totally right when the, you've got the, the names like Wipeout starting to come through, Wipeout, F-Zero. Yeah, yeah. yeah these, are, these are all bangers. And, uh, and we're just doing it in real life. <laughs> and uh, through gaming, we'll be allowed, allowing kind of different audiences to interact with this. But then that starts to also raise the question of where does our talent come from? Where do our pilots come from? And uh, we believe gaming is a really good uh, fertile ground to be able to get some talent through to, to this sport. It's not set in stone that the, the pathway for pilots isn't as traditional as kart racing through your Formula Series and, and into Formula One. We, we can diversify that through gaming to see some of the skills and subsets uh, and qualities and pilots that we want. So, yeah, a lot of our uh, existing pilots have come from that world as well. Uh, Zephytali Walsh, our current champion, uh, is a drone racing champion uh, himself. So uh, more in the digital side than actually a physical drone racer. So it's, uh, it's good to see some of the skill sets coming through. And how are they actually powered? I mean, you, it's, is there... When you're racing, is it going to be like the first season of Formula E where you had to leap from one car to the other when you run out of energy? Like, you know, a, a typical drone that's, you know, you, people use in their in their homes only lasts for, what, 20, 25 minutes. You know, how long are these things actually going to be airborne for? So at the moment, the Mark 3s have about 15 minutes before they need to come in for a pit stop. And uh, yeah, we've got the team's got it down to about a minute uh, to be able to take the batteries out and put the new ones in and get them back out onto the onto the grid. Um, now, 15 minutes isn't long enough, and for the crewed vehicles, uh, it's definitely not going to be powerful enough. So we've started uh, experimenting with uh, sustainable fuels, so sustainable aviation fuels, uh, injecting to a turbo generator, powering through to an electric powertrain, um, and uh, the mix of kind of high-density fuels, uh, sustainable, but also electric propulsion, is a good mix for for the industry and a good mix for the sport itself as well. You've also brought up a really interesting point about what type of series we are. So at the moment, we've got two entities. We've got Airspeed the Sport. We've also got Alauda, the manufacturer, our sister company in South Australia, where we build these vehicles. Um, now, we don't want to build the vehicles forever. It's a stock series to start with. 
and the teams will inherit those vehicles. But over time, we're going to release more and more technology onto the teams to be able to iterate. And they should be the ones that are kind of beating the drum and the tempo of how quickly they want to take on the responsibilities of these, these vehicles in the air, the technological pathways of those vehicles, and uh, the development so that they can start really getting used to aerial vehicles, vertical vehicles, and, uh, and having their own, um, their own pathways into uh, personal air mobility as well. So it's starting as a stock series, but we're yep. going to morph it into a formulaic series quite quickly. That's really cool. So, so you could end up with a myriad. So, you, you basically become Formula One. You you set you set the regulations, and mm-hmm. you know what, perhaps even you know cost caps and all that sort of thing. And then brands go off, OEMs go off and create and and have different thrusters, different engine suppliers, all sorts of different components. Yeah, we don't want to turn it into wacky races, no. uh, but there is a there's a formula control on uh, what components of the vehicle we'd be releasing and it's been really exciting talking to the teams we're talking to because there's a general consensus on some of the technology areas that they are so keen to get involved with initially Mm. and then there's some areas that they can see on their five and ten year horizons that would be interesting and that's kind of been built into our protocols so when we're talking to these teams we say great by year three and four you'll be responsible for x and uh, year five and six you'll be doing x and y uh, and eventually, uh, we see within the next, we see in the next six to eight years that these teams will be largely responsible for everything, minus core safety systems. Now, that's what Alauda, uh, as uh, as an aerospace company, will be responsible for is those safety systems, safety cells, and technologies that allow these vehicles to compete aggressively but safely. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, it's for teams to be able to test the technologies and. When does this in the future enter the public narrative around um, mobility generally? So at the moment, you know, we've we've we're suddenly flying, pardon the pun, towards the the use of electric vehicles. You know, I've got one. Loads of my mates drive an electric car. Um, you know, there's charging points popping up all over the place, huge ones. Um, you know, Tesla are obviously doing really, really, really well in North America and Europe. At what point does the public? suddenly start noticing that there are other alternatives which include flying around instead of driving around on roads it's it's always been i guess flying cars always been something that's meant to be 20 years away we always thought oh that's not in our lifetime it's going to be in our lifetime um we're already starting to to see it come through there's big names like joby uh, who've said by they'll be entering commercial service for their flying taxis by 2025, starting with cities like California and Singapore and and Dubai. Um, Now, who's going to be flying these vehicles and how often is yet to be seen. Uh, My personal opinion is I think they're going to start replacing helicopters with effectively electric helicopters. Um, But it's still a really exciting exciting milestone to say just the next few years we're going to have these vehicles over our cities. So uh, a lot of government, a lot of regulatory bodies are preparing at the moment to, to enable that to happen. There's a lot of development with vertiports. You'll see on many high-rise buildings in these progressive cities that there is electric charging being pushed to the top of these buildings, that vertiports are being placed and vertical corridors are starting to be carved out for a lot of new built structures. Um, so it is, it's happening in our, in our lifetime. Uh, and it's the biggest mobility revolution 
that we do not know anything about. Yeah. And uh, we've seen it with the car. uh, So I keep going back and I guess it's the the history student in me. But we saw it at the the turn of the car that in 18 years, Henry Ford produced his first car to selling his millionth vehicle. And uh, the horse very quickly went out of business. And these mobility revolutions, when they do happen, they happen extraordinarily quickly. Uh, and they have seismic shifts. And I think we're probably about the precipice of having another one in the vertical space. Um, but core components that are missing to it on top of regulation, certification, uh, battery technology, there's still a few things that need to change. The big one is public acceptance. Yeah. Getting the public to know about this, to, to want this, and we believe most importantly to fall in love with this, that's, the, that's a big battle that's yet to be fought. Uh, and Airspeed is doing its part as a motorsport to be able to get people excited and ready for this. Jack, we've kept you for nearly long enough, but we ask a final three questions to all of our guests. The first one for you is, what's got you excited at this very moment? In the world of Airspeeder, it's our first manned flights. I've been on this journey for four years now. Uh, It's taken longer than I thought. Granted, there was a pandemic in between, but I'm ready. Uh, So we are... Uh, late stage testing on the on the vehicles. Um, it looks like we're going to be Australia's first crewed EV toll uh, to be flown. Uh, we're only a matter of weeks away from that. So that for me is is probably number one. Number two is excitedly revealing both our international locations and teams. Uh, for too long, it's been just airspeed racing in Australia. Uh, so we're now about to, to announce where the new global locations will be for 2024 and uh, which teams will be competing in the inaugural series of Airspeeder. So we're, uh, yeah, they're the two things I can't wait to, to, to reveal. Very good. Uh, how much of your success do you put down to luck and right place, right time? And how much do you put down to just downright hard work and graft? Yeah, this is, I loved this question. Uh, and the reason is because I, I used to believe in luck and, uh, and and believe in being lucky. But then I think uh, it's a great ad. There's a martini ad where I think the, the saying is luck is an attitude. And if you really kind of diagnose what luck is, it's it's a combination of the latter. It's a combination of the grafting, the positioning, the knowledge, the, uh, the awareness uh, of being in the right space at the right time. And I don't believe that luck is... is uh, the biggest contributing factor, I think, for me, success it comes down to not giving up, not dying, and being around. And the longer you are around, the longer people hear your your message. They understand that there's something going on here. There's you're worth listening to. Uh, the longer you're around, the the greater the team has more experience. It'll gather, uh, and the I guess the the, the greater increase you will a greater increase your chance of success from uh, all your previous learnings. Um, and so whereas I used to believe in luck, I, I really don't believe it's a, it's a factor at all. It is about being a, a leatherback. It's about endurance. It's about uh, grafting and keeping that flame, that burning passion that keeps you going and making sure that's got enough fuel uh, is, is the thing that will get you across the line. So, uh, yeah, luck is an attitude, as I say at Martini. Very good. Now, final one for you. We'll let you get on your way. What are you scared of? I guess the opposite of that would be failure. And yeah. uh, it's something I'm 
terrified of. And uh, I think I'm equal parts driven by wanting to succeed and not wanting to fail. And uh, and failure is uh, it's hard to define. Uh, it's hard to it's very personal. It's something that is is everyone's got their own view on what their own failure is. Um, but look, I've said very openly that I'm here to build a brand new motorsport, a next generation motorsport, one that's going to rival Formula One in the in the coming years. Uh, and uh, anything short of that, I will, I will start to class as failure. So uh, yeah, that's probably my biggest my biggest fear. Yeah, it's it's a very good motivator, isn't it? But Jack, it's been fascinating hearing from you. Um, it's it's certainly opened my eyes to um, this new form of. Um, transportation that that we should all be paying attention to and you know not just the OEMs the big manufacturers but you know general public as well so thank you so much for joining us on the show I'm sure there's lots more to talk about in the future so we'll get you back on again um, as things develop but for now thanks so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast awesome thanks Tim Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.